three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Today is Tuesday, September 11th. Um, yesterday was one of the most frustrating days I've ever had in college. All my plans went to hell. I mean, I had to push everything back. It was frustrating. I just had to deal with trial after trial after trial, you know, college problems and work problems. And I actually started recording my show and I got a noise complaint. I had to move everything back. Um, really frustrating. I apologize. There was no Monday show. Um, but, you know, I want to, I just feel like yesterday was a day dealing with adversity. And I want to start with that idea because I want to, I want to introduce you guys to someone named Doug. I want to introduce you guys to a guy named Doug. Doug is not a friend of mine. I have no idea what Doug is doing in life. Um, but Doug had a huge impact on me. Just, we only, there's really only one moment in my life I remember thinking about Doug very clearly, but Doug had a huge impact on my life. I took uh, classes at Clark Community College once upon a time, and uh, we had a psychology class together. And Doug was an interesting character. He had a, a giant pencil box he would take with him everywhere. It's like a giant Tupperware plastic pencil box full of pens and pencils. And on the first day of psychology, our professor made us stand up and introduce ourselves. We had to list off like our name, favorite color, high school, favorite animal, whole list of weird stuff just kind of introducing who you are to the class. I'll never forget as Doug stands up, not only does he knock over the pencil box, he trips. So what happens is Doug is on the ground, he trips over his backpack, Doug is on the ground, pencils are everywhere, and Doug is in the process of introducing himself without missing a beat. Doug calmly introduces himself. He goes through that entire list. You know, my favorite color is green. My favorite animal is a wolf, yada, yada, doing the whole list while he's just calmly picking up pencils, collecting himself. And I just remember thinking, that dude is so cool, so calm, so collected. Didn't let that weird, awkward moment phase him at all. He just was totally poised in that moment. That is what we watched Sam Darnold do last night. Last night, we saw Sam Darnold humiliate himself. He publicly humiliated himself, Sam Darnold did. Sam Darnold's first NFL pass was not only an interception, it was a pick six. Can you imagine how Sam Darnold felt? You know, my buddy Jared last night called me. He goes, dude, did you see that? And I'm like, yeah, not only did I see that, you saw that millions of people saw what happened on Monday Night Football. Yeah, Sam Darnold looked totally unfazed. First pass ever in the NFL, picked off, intercepted for a touchdown. And people kept saying as the game went on, Sam Darnold kept getting better and better throughout the football game. I kept seeing people, you know, on ESPN, um, I'm following the game on ESPN, little Twitter updates come on the side. And, you know, people would be like, man, Sam Darnold has really settled down. He's really calmed down as this game has gone on. And, and I just was like, did he ever not look calm? Did you ever, did you look at his face when he threw the interception? When Sam Darnold throws a pick six, I looked at his face and he's like, well, that happens. And I literally laughed. I was like, man, this guy doesn't care at all. It was awesome. It's really funny. The Browns drafted Baker Mayfield quarterback out of Oklahoma, number one overall. And one of the reasons that was reported for the Browns passing on Sam Darnold was apparently the Browns felt like Sam Darnold couldn't handle the moment. They thought that you know, turning around the Browns was too big of a moment for Sam Darnold. He couldn't handle it. And I just think it's, it's pretty obvious. Yet yeah, last night, there's no moment too big for Sam Darnold. I, I, just, I, I think that the Browns are wrong. You know, the Browns said that they loved Baker Mayfield because Baker Mayfield reminded them of Brett Favre. And ironically enough, so far, Sam Darnold and Brett Favre have started their careers identically. Sam Darnold's first pass, pick six. Brett Favre's first pass was also an interception for a touchdown. Ah, it's great. I don't know. I I loved it. I want to mention that pick six because honestly, I think a lot of it was on the play call more than people realize. 
Um, it was kind of a, a trick play the way they did it. It was a, a play where you get the defense to flow right, and then you throw the ball back to the left. Look, I know Sam Darnold made the throw, but still, kind of a weird play call. But aside from Sam Darnold's initial setback, Sam was fantastic. I mean, Sam looked incredible. I have never wavered. I've always said Sam Darnold was the best quarterback in the 2018 NFL draft class. I've never wavered on that. But I'm not here to say I told you so. This is only one game. Remember, after one game in the NFL season, we have Ryan Fitzpatrick looks like the best quarterback in the NFL. He had five touchdowns against the Saints. And after one game, Jimmy Garoppolo pretty much sucked. You could say, oh, Jimmy Garoppolo's bad. So one game is not enough to judge what a player looks like. But man, Jets fans have every reason to be encouraged. Against the Lions, Sam Darnold was 16 for 21. That's a 76% completion percentage. Had 198 yards, two touchdowns, and the one interception. He moved well in the pocket. He didn't just move well in the pocket. When he escaped the pocket, he ran to throw. He'd extend plays and throw the ball downfield. And here's the thing. Sam Darnold was deadly accurate. And I watched on Sunday Jimmy Garoppolo, the 49ers quarterback, struggle with accuracy at times. He threw the ball high a couple times. He missed a touchdown late in the game. Sam Darnold put the ball exactly where he wanted all game long. It was awesome. It's hard not to point out right now that, remember, the Browns passed on Sam Darnold. And the Giants passed on Sam Darnold. Never forget, the Portland Trailblazers had a chance to draft Michael Jordan and they passed on him. And the Portland Trailblazers had a chance to draft Kevin Durant, and they chose Greg Oden instead of Kevin Durant. I don't know. The Blazers could have had Michael Jordan and Kevin Durant. It feels like the same thing. The Giants passing on Sam Darnold. The Browns passing on Sam Darnold. It feels very similar. I think Sam Darnold is a star. We'll see that as time goes on. Um, but I always say young quarterbacks are like beards. You know, I have no facial hair. If I were to grow facial hair, it would take about two months. And between no facial hair and having a beard would be this ugly growth period where, you know, I've got weird scraggly hair everywhere. It doesn't look good. Sam Darnold's going to go through an ugly growth period. I, I promise you, there are going to be struggles ahead for Sam Darnold. Not every game will be as clean as the one last night. But he's going to be fine. He's going to develop into a, a fantastic quarterback. I can't wait to see what happens. Um, and if he plays like he did against the Lions last night all season, he will be rookie of the year. There's no question in my mind. Um, I think he made more of an impact than Saquon Barkley did, than Calvin Ridley did, than Bradley Chubb did. I mean, Sam Darnold was the Jets last night, and it was so fantastic. But here's the thing that I, I just loved more than anything from Sam Darnold. Failure in life happens. Failure happens all the time. And last night, Sam Darnold against the Lions proved he's more than capable of handling adversity, dealing with bad stuff happening. He was poised. He was unfazed. I applaud him, man. It was, it was so fantastic, and it was so much fun to watch. I just, um, I loved watching Sam Darnold last night on Monday Night Football. It was fantastic. We have a great show today. I'm going to talk about why the Raiders lost to the Rams. Uh, we're going to talk about Khalil Mack. Uh, is Matthew Stafford overrated? I'll, I'll tell you, I'll weigh in on that, share my opinion. And later in the show, we're going to talk about the Saints defense. I'm going to share why Ryan Fitzpatrick should not be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers starter. We're going to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. We'll talk about Tom Brady. Remember, if you like strong opinion sports as much as I do, help me grow the show by telling your friends about it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow the show by telling your friends about it. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, everywhere else. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. <laughs> the Raiders last night. 
The Raiders lost last night on Monday Night Football. They lost to the Rams 33-13. to And everyone is very quick to point out, ooh, the Raiders, you know, they didn't have Khalil Mack. The Raiders would have been better with Khalil Mack last night. And, and yes, look, the Raiders would have been better last night if they had Khalil Mack. There's no doubt, right? He would have made somewhat of an impact. But you're delusional if you think that Khalil Mack is the reason the Raiders lost last night. Khalil Mack would not have helped the Raiders come back from a three-point deficit last night. It was a three-score game. You understand, on Khalil Mack's best day, Sunday night football, he scored six points. Khalil Mack does not make a, a three-score difference. You know why the Raiders lost last night? Derek Carr had three interceptions and no touchdowns. The Raiders quarterback made bad decisions down the stretch. I want to ask you a question. How many times was the Rams quarterback Jared Goff sacked? Jared Goff was sacked one time. Oh, and how many times was Derek Carr, the Raiders quarterback, sacked? Oh, oh, interesting. It was only one time. Yeah, they were identical. So the pass rush, I don't know, man. I just... I'm, I'm tired of hearing, you know, the pass rushers. They really affect the game. Did they? Did they last night? I'm not saying they had no impact, but that wasn't a make-or-break thing in the game. Here's the thing. In the second quarter of the Raiders game last night, Derek Carr underthrew Jared Cook in the end zone. He threw an interception in the end zone, which means they lost points. And then down 10 points, eight minutes left to go. Derek Carr threw an awful interception. He was trying to hit a backside comeback route, and he threw it right to the defender. There was nobody there. It made no sense. And then at the end of the game, Derek Carr threw a pick six to give the Rams the final lead, 33-13. to The reason why the Raiders lost last night was because of Derek Carr's interception. Three, three interceptions. Oh, and ironically, they lost by three scores. They lost by three possessions. Huh, what's the difference there? Derek Carr literally gave them six points. I like Khalil Mack. I'm not saying Khalil Mack has no impact. But Khalil Mack would not have pushed the Raiders over the edge last night. The absence of Khalil Mack is not why the Raiders lost last night. In fact, again, the Raiders were in the game. They had a chance, and Derek Carr blew it. Derek Carr is the reason why the Raiders lost. Again, I'm not saying Khalil Mack has no impact. He would have helped a little bit, but it would have been marginal. It would not have been a three-point difference. Derek Carr is the reason why the Raiders lost to the Rams last night. So I want to now talk about Sunday night football. Talk about the, the game that Khalil Mack did play in. So on Sunday night football, the Packers lost. I guess, excuse me. On Sunday night football, the Packers beat the Bears. They won 24 to 23. Only it's not that simple. Remember, the Bears at one point led 20 to nothing. In the third quarter, after halftime, the Bears had a 20 to nothing lead. The Bears had all the momentum in the Packers-Bears game. And yet, Aaron Rodgers did his thing, and the Packers won. I've seen one headline all the time about, I, you know, I, I did read the media last night, uh, yesterday. A lot of people wrote this. They're like, Aaron Rodgers, unbelievable comeback. Can you believe it? Yeah, I can believe it. Is it really unbelievable? It's Aaron Rodgers. If anyone's going to do that, I would assume it's Aaron Rodgers. But again, it's not that surprising. Not only is this Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers plays the quarterback position and he plays it at a high level. I literally said the other day, elite quarterbacks take over games. There's one position more than any in football that takes over and wins games. It's the quarterback position. And there's a common theme I've been talking about on this podcast for the last two weeks. Quarterbacks win games. 
know what vindication is? Do you know what vindication is? Vindication is proof that someone or something was right. You know, I made a controversial decision in high school. I, I changed high schools. I moved schools. I grew up in Portland, Oregon. And my coach in Portland said I was too small to play quarterback. He wanted me to play safety. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. So I moved from Portland to Vancouver, Washington. I set records at my new school. We made the playoffs two years in a row. Fantastic. We had a huge upset win in the playoffs. It was fantastic. I set records. It was fun. My old school in Portland after I left went 0-10. They won one game in two years. I was vindicated. I did the right thing. I bet on myself and I was right. John Gruden was vindicated while watching the Bears and Packers game on Sunday night football. I know he lost to the Rams. That sucks. But I'm sure that Sunday night he felt really good. See, John Gruden and the Raiders, uh, the Raiders, Raiders, Ravens, John Gruden and the Raiders were not willing to pay Khalil Mack the money he wanted. They said he's asking for too much. He's too expensive. So the Raiders traded Khalil Mack to the Bears. And look, in Khalil Mack's first game, he looked fantastic. In Khalil Mack's first game for the Bears, he went off. He had a great game. He had a sack. He had a fumble recovery. He had a pick six. I mean, Khalil Mack might have had the best game he's going to have all season against the Packers. I mean, a pick six. Khalil Mack was literally worth six points on Sunday night. And yet, in spite of how well Khalil Mack played, the Bears lost. The Bears lost. Now, it's worth noting, again, he had his... His sack fumble and his pick six against the Packers' backup quarterback, Deshaun Kaiser. However, I think if you're going to make that argument, you also have to acknowledge Khalil Mack is a lot of the reason why Aaron Rodgers was not in the game in the first place. So if you're going to you kind of go around there, whatever. But remember, Aaron Rodgers gets hurt. Deshaun Kaiser comes in. Khalil Mack makes all these plays. Aaron Rodgers comes back in. Oh, guess what happened? Aaron Rodgers took over the game. My point is this. Khalil Mack had an incredible game. And the Bears still lost. Hello? In the second half of the Packers game, they started blocking Khalil Mack differently. Started double-teaming him. They started giving him chip blocks. And it's interesting, during that entire Aaron Rodgers comeback, Khalil Mack was silent. Khalil Mack had no impact in the second half. I mean, he looked great against Deshaun Kaiser, the backup quarterback for the Packers. I know you could say he knocked him out of the game, Aaron Rodgers out of the game, But where was Khalil Mack in the second half? He had no impact on the game. I can just imagine John Gruden sitting at home going, yep, yep, told you so. The Khalil Mack is an incredible player. I'm not not saying he has no impact. But I would not have paid Khalil Mack $23.5 million. That's all I'm saying. It's too much. Quarterbacks win games. Defensive ends do not. Said it over and over again. Watch the Bears this year. If they make the playoffs, I'll admit I'm wrong. If the Bears go 11-5, and five, fine. I was wrong about that, but I don't think that's what's going to happen. Denver Broncos had Von Miller last year, the best defensive end in football. 5-11. and 11. Defensive ends do not win games. Quarterbacks win games. I want to remind you guys of a moment. There was a moment in that Bears-Packers game with 2 minutes and 39 seconds left. The Bears were on the 22-yard line going in. They were in the Packers' territory. And it was fourth and one for the Bears. The Bears were up three points. It's 20 to 17. On fourth and one, the Bears chose to kick a field goal. And it, it just made no sense to me. I was like, why, why would you do that? What's the benefit there? You kick a field goal, you go up six points. I, I guess that's good, but that's not really enough against Aaron Rodgers. 
And that's when they kicked that field goal to go up six points instead of going for it on fourth and one. That's when I knew the Bears would lose because they left the door open for Aaron Rodgers to win the game. And guess what he did? You had a six-point lead. What did that do for you? You gave Aaron Rodgers the ball back with two minutes left and a chance to take the lead in the game. That's what happened. That's exactly what happened. I, I don't know. I think the Bears might have been trying to do the safe thing. They were like, let's avoid risk. It's fourth and one. Let's kick the field goal, take the easy points. Yeah, I think the only safe move in that situation was for the Bears to go by 10 points. Do not give the ball back to Aaron Rodgers and give him a chance to win. If you give the ball to Aaron Rodgers with up 10, if you have a 10-point lead giving the ball back to Aaron Rodgers, that's the only way to avoid risk in that situation. So in trying to avoid risk, the Packers actually took, or excuse me, the Bears took a bigger risk. Because again, that six-point lead did not help much. Aaron Rodgers drove right down the field, put seven more points on the board, Packers up one. I don't know. I don't get it. I don't know why the Bears didn't go for it. It was surprising, too. It's not like, did they not believe in their quarterback? Because Mitch Trubisky had a good game. Look, I'm not saying Mitch Trubisky, their quarterback, he looked better in the first half than the second half. But still, it was really weird the Bears didn't go for it on fourth and one. I will never understand. Again, it was like, do you not trust your quarterback? Are you trying to be safe? Because that's not the safe decision to have a six-point lead against the Packers. I don't know, that six-point lead, entirely unhelpful. I just want to remind you guys, the Bears should have gone for it on fourth and one. Fourth and one, two minutes left in their territory on the 22-yard line. Go for it on fourth and one. Try to score a touchdown. Then you give Aaron Rodgers the ball back up ten, with a 10-point lead. It's interesting. People are telling me the Bears are a playoff team. I, they're a good. They're much, much better than they were last year. I can already acknowledge that. Khalil Mack is making an impact to some degree. You know, their quarterback, Mitch Trubisky, does look a little better. But if the Bears are going to be a playoff team, they have to trust their quarterback, Mitch Trubisky, late in games. And it does not look like they do. Fourth and one, you kick a field goal, up three points. That six-point lead didn't help the Bears at all. And it seems like they might not trust their quarterback, Mitch Trubisky. Okay, we watched the Lions last night just get trounced. The Lions got murdered by the New York Jets. And someone texted me last night, is Matthew Stafford overrated? I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a question worth asking, though. It's a question worth examining. I mean, Ma- Matthew Stafford is the fifth highest paid quarterback in the NFL. He makes $27 million a year. And yet, Matthew Stafford got outplayed by a rookie quarterback. And Matthew Stafford was playing at home in Detroit. And Sam Darnold completely showed him up on his home turf. It was ugly to watch. If you're a fan of the Lions, I feel bad for you. I'm really sorry. That was terrible. Matthew Stafford had four interceptions. And it's hard to go from watching Aaron Rodgers on Sunday night to watching the very next night watching, you know, Sam, uh, Matthew, Matthew Stafford completely throw up all over himself. It was awful. I'm like, how do you, man, it's like, it's like going from driving a Porsche 911 to a beat up, you know, Honda Civic. It's like, that's, that's a really big jump down. It's a really big step down. Again, Matthew Stafford was 27 for 46, 58% completion percentage. 286 yards, one touchdown, but here's the killer. Matthew Stafford had, again, four interceptions, including a pick six. It was ugly. It was awful. I love the quarterback position. I study it. I played quarterback in college. I've even coached quarterbacks. I love, love what the quarterback position has become. In 2018, playing quarterback is all about decision-making. Football is truly the thinking man's game. It's can you make a good decision repeatedly over and over and over again? And what did we see last night? 
Matthew Stafford is a throwback quarterback. Matthew Stafford has his huge arm. He would have been great with guys like Terry Bradshaw back in the 70s. Getting got the huge arm. He's a gunslinger. Matthew Stafford, woo! All the talent in the world. Didn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's why I didn't believe in Josh Allen this year. Because decision-making isn't there. Look, I'm not saying Matthew Stafford's a bum. Matthew Stafford's thrown for over 4,000 yards in each of the last seven seasons. Seven seasons in a row, over 4,000 yards. Matthew Stafford is tied for fourth most among active, active quarterbacks for fourth quarter comebacks. Matthew Stafford has 26 fourth quarter comebacks in his career. He clearly knows how to play the quarterback position. But last night, Matthew Stafford was shown up by a rookie. It was embarrassing. It was ugly. So I don't know if Matthew Stafford's overrated, but a lot of that is because I don't know how high public perception is of him anyways. Remember, Matthew Stafford does not have a playoff win. He's 0-3 in the playoffs. I don't know. Here's what, here's what last night showed us. You cannot rank Matthew Stafford with guys like Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, Russell Wilson. He's not on their level. The gap is greater than ever before. It was apparent last night. Because guys like that, elite quarterbacks do not have a night where they get shown up by a rookie quarterback at home and throw four interceptions. That would not happen to Tom Brady. Would not happen to Aaron Rodgers. We already kind of knew Matthew Stafford isn't on their level, but now the gap is very clear. He is not a top-tier quarterback. He's not even a second-tier quarterback. He's a quarterback that can win a lot of games, but that, I mean, that was not pretty. That was not something that Tom Brady would have done. So the gap is wider than ever between the best quarterbacks in the NFL and Matthew Stafford. And ironically, though, Matthew Stafford is paid like one of the top five quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, sorry to say, um, he's overpaid. I, I don't, I mean, hey. I understand. Look, he gives the Lions stability. He's awesome. He's the reason why the Lions have had any success at all over the years. But not enough. I mean, you can't, you can't have a night like that and be one of the top five quarterbacks paid in the NFL. It's just not acceptable. All right. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, I'm going to discuss the Saints' surprising loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It was just, God, I, I did not expect it. I'm going to tell you why, despite having five touchdowns, Ryan Fitzpatrick should not be the quarterback going forward for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm going to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo's struggles, and I'm going to tell you what we learned from Tom Brady and what we learned from the Patriots' win over the Houston Texans. You can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube, as well as my best, most interesting clips. If you like Strong Opinion Sports as much as I do, help me grow by telling your friends about the show. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Let's talk about the Saints. The New Orleans Saints were the biggest shock of week one. The Saints lost to the Buccaneers 48-40. to The New Orleans defense was terrible. Um, and right now, they rank second to last in the entire NFL in total defense. They are 31st out of 32 teams. Only the Kansas City Chiefs gave up more yards and were worse uh, in week one as far as defense. The Saints gave up 529 yards of total offense to the Buccaneers. The Bucs' backup quarterback, the backup quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick, had, was 21 for 28 passing at 417 yards, four touchdowns passing, one touchdown rushing, um, look, man, there are a couple things in life you can't do and expect to have good results. The first time you meet your girlfriend's parents, you can't be rude and you can't be mean. 
You can't drive drunk and expect to have good results. And you cannot give up 529 yards of total offense, 48 points, and expect to win a football game. It will not go well. It's awful. Just terrible. Like I've said before, Drew Brees does not need to have a top 10, a top 5 defense. Drew Brees just needs a reasonable defense, a defense ranked at least in the top half of the league. Right now, his defense is second to last, and that will not win games. It's awful. I mean, the Saints scored 40 points and lost a football game. Only three teams scored more points in week one. The Jets, the Ravens scored 47 points, and of course, look, the Buccaneers scored 48 points. They beat the Saints. But I want to reiterate, the Saints quarterback, Drew Brees, had 439 yards passing. He was 37 for 45. That's 82% completion percentage. That's unbelievable. He had three touchdowns, no interceptions. Drew Brees did all of that, and yet he still lost. That is unacceptable. Drew Brees is too good. Drew Brees is far too good a quarterback. He's a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's too good to be held back by a bad defense like we saw in week one for the Saints. That's awful. That's just historically bad. And three teams historically have failed to help their quarterback. The Saints, the Colts, and the Seattle Seahawks. Over the years, the Seahawks have consistently failed to give their quarterback, Russell Wilson, an offensive line. In the season opener, Russell Wilson was sacked six times. And it would have been more if he wasn't such a good athlete, he could escape a lot of them. On Sunday, the Seattle Seahawks only ran for 64 yards. And I'm watching this going, how can you not... Get an offensive line. It drives me nuts watching the Seahawks. Or how about the Colts? The Colts. The Indianapolis Colts historically have failed their quarterback, Andrew Luck. In fact, the offensive line was so bad, he missed two entire seasons because of injuries. And Drew Brees' defense lets him out year in and year out. Last year we saw that miracle in Minneapolis, the game that Case Keenum won against the Saints. Why did that happen? The reason why the Vikings were even in the NFC Championship game was because Drew Brees' defense failed to tackle Stephon Diggs. All they had to do was hit the guy out of bounds. All they had to do. Couldn't even do that. On Sunday, Drew Brees' team gave up 529 yards of total offense. Drew Brees completed 82% of his passes, threw for 439 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and lost. It's horrible. Year in, year out, Drew Brees does not get the support he deserves from his defense. The one time, think about this, the one time Drew Brees has had a solid defense, 2009, he won a Super Bowl. It's not, you don't have to ask for too much. I'm not asking for the Saints defense to be top five, to lead the NFL in defense. They just got to be marginally good. Can you get in the top 20? If you get in the top 20, you win every Sunday. It's not that hard. And the Saints defense, for some reason, cannot figure it out. The Saints have to. The Saints must Fix their defense. Drew Brees is too good to waste the last years of his career because you can't stop anybody. You can't stop a backup quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That is shameful and embarrassing. Ugh. Now, after Ryan Fitzpatrick, the Buccaneers quarterback, went off, Ryan Fitzpatrick had five touchdowns. They made him, I mean, geez, the Saints made him look like a Hall of Fame quarterback. It was ridiculous. Um, a lot of people began to wonder, should Ryan Fitzpatrick become the Buccaneers starting quarterback? Remember, the Buccaneers starting quarterback, Jameis Winston, is serving a three-game suspension. And again, Ryan Fitzpatrick exploded. He looked fantastic in week one. Although I would argue, I think it was really the Saints defense. 
I don't know that there was a quote from Ryan Fitzpatrick actually saying, you know, it's it's cool, you know, it, it's, it's amazing. It had nothing to do with what they were doing and everything to do with what we were doing on offense. I don't believe that quote at all. It wasn't about what Ryan Fitzpatrick was doing. It was the fact that the Saints were letting guys wide open down the field run free without getting touched at all. It was horrible. It was like it was the worst defense I've ever seen. Um, I would not say that Ryan Fitzpatrick absolutely shredded the Saints. He did. But a lot of it was because the Saints were bad rather than Ryan Fitzpatrick being fantastic. Uh, my friend Braden sent me a meme last night. It was I thought it was worth talking about. It's called the Ryan Fitzpatrick cycle. And step one starts like if you're if the Ryan Fitzpatrick cycle is this. First, he gets signed as a backup quarterback. Then the starting quarterback gets hurt. Ryan Fitzpatrick gets thrown into the game. Ryan Patrick plays so Ryan Fitzpatrick will play so well. He earns the starting spot. He'll get paid a bunch of money. Then he'll suck. He'll get released. And then you go back to step one where Ryan Fitzpatrick is signed as a backup quarterback. And it's, it's really funny because that's true. I mean, you look, he played for the Bills, was a starter at one point, played for the Jets, was a starter at one point. And although you could argue maybe Ryan Fitzpatrick never really got a fair shot, you know, the rosters he played with were always terrible. But it's still, it's like, man, I, I don't know. You do have to consider, if Ryan Fitzpatrick keeps playing for the next three games, should he be the Buccaneers starting quarterback? The answer is very simple. The answer is no. Even if Ryan Fitzpatrick plays like a Hall of Famer the next three games, he should not be the starting quarterback for the Buccaneers. Here's why. Ryan Fitzpatrick is 35 years old. I hate to say it, but there's no future there. It's like falling in love with someone on a vacation. You know at the end of the vacation, you're both going home and it's going to end. Even if Ryan Fitzpatrick gives the Buccaneers the best chance to win, it doesn't matter. Winning with Ryan Fitzpatrick... Is actually futile. It doesn't help. The only reason you should play Ryan Fitzpatrick is if you think you can win a Super Bowl with him. Otherwise, don't. Because the better the Buccaneers are, the worse of a draft pick they have. So, excuse me. The, the better the Buccaneers are, the later in the NFL draft their draft pick will be. The Buccaneers have to play Jameis Winston. The Buccaneers need to figure out, is Jameis Winston the quarterback we want to move forward with for the next couple of years? Is Jameis Winston our franchise quarterback? Maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe, maybe they already feel that way. They probably do, right? I think Buccaneers fans are going to watch this and be mad. For me personally, I'm not sold on Jameis Winston. I think he's kind of, I, I struggle with his lack of maturity. He doesn't act like a leader. But right now, I hate to say this, Jameis Winston is the Buccaneers' best chance of having a starting quarterback, a franchise quarterback. The Buccaneers have to play Jameis Winston when he comes back because they need to figure out, are we going to commit to him or are we going to commit to being bad so we can get a quarterback early in the first round next year? I, I, personally, I don't like Jameis Winston, but I'm, I think he's the guy. I think Jameis Winston is the quarterback for the Buccaneers. Um, and the Buccaneers just need to figure out what we're gonna do, they're going to do in the future. And so that's why I think when Jameis Winston returns from his suspension after week three, the Buccaneers have to commit to Jameis Winston, no matter how well Ryan Fitzpatrick does. It's a good story. It's cool. But he's 35. There's no future there. What's the long-term plan with Ryan Fitzpatrick? He gets old in two years and retires. I would not commit to Ryan Fitzpatrick, especially because we've seen this over the years. He plays really well at times, but he always falls off a cliff eventually. I, I will never forget the day he had five interceptions in a Jets uniform. It was ugly. It was bad. And if I was the Buccaneers, I would not commit to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Two quarterbacks struggled in week one of the NFL season. Eli Manning struggled, and Jimmy Garoppolo actually struggled quite a bit. So Eli's numbers were not terrible. He was 23 for 37, 
That's, you know, 224 yards, no touchdowns, an interception, um, and a 64% completion percentage. But Eli Manning was ugly at times. Eli Manning looked bad. At times, he just kind of threw the ball up for grabs. It was messy. His, uh, I don't know. And if you look at Eli Manning's pick six, I know that it was mostly bad luck. It got tipped. It wasn't a great throw, but it wasn't, it wasn't all his fault. But if you look at Jimmy Garoppolo, it's a little bit different story. Jimmy Garoppolo had worse statistics. He was 15 for 33. Only a 45% completion percentage. Jimmy Garoppolo, 261 yards passing. One touchdown, but three ugly interceptions. And the truth is, it really should have been four interceptions. He got lucky early in the game. Jimmy Garoppolo had a bad pick six. He missed a slant high that was thrown for a pick. He, twice, I remember vividly, Jimmy Garoppolo just looked inaccurate. He threw a pick, a pick six on the right side. He threw a high slant that was picked off. And at the end of the game for the 49ers, he tried to throw a touchdown over the middle. To, I think it was George Kittle. And he just completely airmailed it out of the back of the end zone. The 49ers missed out on a chance of potentially getting a uh, touchdown. I don't know. Uh, the, the final interception, I don't want to be as critical of Jimmy Garoppolo. He's trying to make a play. Time is running out. He forced the ball into coverage. It's not that exciting, but it's not the worst thing ever. I don't know. Now, there was a moment for Jimmy Garoppolo where he rolled to his left, made an Aaron Rodgers-type play, flipped his hips, threw the ball deep downfield, threw a touchdown. It looked fantastic. Again, it reminded me of Aaron Rodgers. But neither Eli Manning or Jimmy Garoppolo looked particularly good. Now, statistically, Jimmy Garoppolo, you could argue, did worse. He had four, had three interceptions, should have been four. But if you actually watched, Eli Manning didn't play well either. Neither was particularly great. However, if you're going to be critical of Jimmy Garoppolo and critical of Eli Manning, you have to remember something. Think about who they played. The 49ers played the Vikings, and the Giants played the Jaguars. Last year, they were the top two defenses in the entire NFL. They will probably do the same thing again. And so I struggle to pass judgment after just one game. You know, we can, we can all say Sam Darnold is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Who knows? It's one game. And if you're going to use that logic, you've got to use the same logic with Jimmy Garoppolo, with Eli Manning. It's one game. Slow down. After four weeks, we'll know. If, if four weeks from now, Jimmy Garoppolo has 15 interceptions, looks terrible. You, everybody can say, Jimmy Garoppolo is way overpaid. But give it four games. Give it some time. And you should wait four games before you criticize Eli Manning. I don't know that Eli Manning's a bum. He played the Jaguars. They're a fantastic defense. I, I, look, every fiber in my body wants to say, Eli Manning stinks, because that was the prediction I made. But I'm not going to use confirmation bias. I'm not going to, the minute I get a glimpse of evidence that would support my argument, I'm not going to go all the way. I'm going to wait until I get all the evidence. I'm going to give it four weeks. Remember, Eli Manning had constant pressure in his face all day. It's, it feels weird to be defending him because I've, I've been critical of the Giants all offseason for choosing Eli Manning. But I don't know that you can be that super critical of him losing to the Jaguars. I, I'm not saying he played well. He played really concerningly. But it's one week. And the 49ers, they looked outmatched in all phases of football. Their pass rushes out. They, they, they just didn't look... They looked outmatched by the Vikings. My prediction was right about the 49ers. I said, look... They're not a bad team, but they're still a year away from competing with teams at the top end of the NFL. That's what happened with the 49ers. They weren't ready for the Vikings. They just didn't look quite ready for that. I don't know. I mean, everybody who plays the Vikings, everybody who plays the Jaguars, every single quarterback is going to play a step below their normal level. So I would wait 
before you judge really harshly Jimmy Garoppolo, before you really harshly judge Eli Manning, give it four weeks. Wait till there's more evidence and then make your judgment because one game simply is not enough. It's not enough to anoint Eli Manning. The sec- it's not enough to anoint Sam Darnold, the next Jesus Christ of New York. It's not enough to say that Eli Manning is awful. It's not enough to say anything. It's one game. Relax and wait for more evidence. All right, the last story I want to talk about is this. On Sunday, the New England Patriots beat the Houston Texans 27-20. to And it was a huge win. I did not expect at all. I did not expect the Patriots to beat the Texans. It's interesting. If you look at both rosters, the Patriots were far, far outmatched. They had a worse defense. They had a worse offensive. They had worse everything. Everything was worse for the Patriots. The Patriots were only better than the Houston Texans at three positions. Coach, quarterback, and tight end. That's it. Coach, quarterback, tight end. Those are the only three positions the Patriots were better than the Texans. All offseason, all I heard was, and I even fell for it, I heard, you know, the Patriots wide receiving core is not good enough. They're going to struggle. They don't have enough. Ya-da-da-da-da. The Patriots proved everybody wrong. Even me. Even I fell for it. I'm asking myself, why did I doubt Tom Brady? Why did I suddenly doubt Tom Brady? Look, Tom Brady, at every step of his career, Tom Brady completely defies all logic. Two people do this. LeBron James does this, and Tom Brady does this. Every single time you think, oh, they shouldn't succeed, they succeed anyways. It's amazing the way that LeBron and Tom Brady have been so successful late into their careers. We should never again doubt Tom Brady. I don't know why I fell for it. I, I said all offseason, I'm not going to fall for it. I'm not going to fall for it. And then I got concerned. I got scared. And I thought, I said, you know, the Patriots are going to struggle. The Patriots are going to be fine. Here's what we learned from the Patriots-Texans game. Tom Brady was 26 for 39, 227 yards, three touchdowns, an interception. Gronk had seven catches, 123 yards, one touchdown. What we learned is having a great coach, a great quarterback, and a great tight end apparently is enough. That's all the Patriots need. And I would even bet they could lose Rob Gronkowski and only have a better coach and a better quarterback, and that could still be enough. Basically, every single game the Patriots are going to play this year, their only advantage they will have is they'll have a better coach, a better quarterback, and a better tight end. That's it. And apparently, it doesn't matter. Apparently, having a better coach and a better quarterback, apparently that's all the Patriots need. That's all they need. So if you were concerned about the Patriots, I think I, I predicted them to be nine and seven. Outlandish, ridiculous. I, I, I want to, that is my worst prediction I made all offseason. I, uh, I would probably raise them back to 11 and five, somewhere in there, because they looked fine. They looked like having a, good, uh, a great coach and a great quarterback. That is all the Patriots need. I'm going to go back on my, my prediction. I am embarrassed. There's, that's not true. There's just, you, you should not doubt Tom Brady. He won an MVP at 40 years old last year. Never again will I doubt Tom Brady. Okay, that's all I have for today, guys. Um, I'm really excited to get this out. I'm excited to share my thoughts on Sam Darnold. Um, I'm recording another episode tomorrow. Tomorrow, what we're going to talk about are college quarterbacks. I'm going to share what college quarterbacks look NFL-ready after two weeks. Then I'm going to go through um, Nebraska. I'm talking about Nebraska's head coach. How Scott Frost, Nebraska's head coach, was burned by his kindness. Then we're going to talk about the University of Arizona football tomorrow. They have just began at an unacceptable rate. They got destroyed by Houston. It's terrible. 
We're going to talk about the 49ers. I'm going to preview Thursday night football between the Ravens and the Bengals, and I'm going to discuss the Kansas City Chiefs at length. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube, as well as my best, most interesting clips. If you like Strong Opinion Sports as much as I do, help me grow the show by telling your friends about it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about the show. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I will see you guys back tomorrow. Thank you so much. Have a great day. But um bum bam we are done. Bye.